It's good to be here this morning and to share the Word of God. Uh, I, have, uh, I have my sermon on my t-shirt and the scripture. I have a friend in Steubenville, Ohio that has a t-shirt place and I said to him, this was a couple of years ago, I have an idea for a t-shirt for myself. He said, well, what is it? And I said, I want you to make a big piece of chocolate cake and then above the chocolate cake, I want the words, if every day was a piece of cake, we wouldn't need God. And then underneath the scripture uh, that's up on the screen, uh, as thy day, so shall thy strength be. Deuteronomy 33:25. And so uh, I'm going to share with you this morning on why, even as a Christian, uh, life is not a piece of cake. Now, don't misunderstand the preacher. As Christians, there will be days when life will seem like a piece of cake. You go to work and your boss says, come in. And he said, we've enjoyed your work. You've done a great job. We're giving you a very high raise. Now, that's a piece of cake that day. If, uh, if you and your young wife have saved up and you finally got enough money to make a down payment and you're waiting for the bank to call and the bank calls and says you've been accepted, where you can buy the house and you get it at a 30-year loan at 2% interest. Do you know when Jimmy Carter was in the president, interest rates was 15%. And when the bank calls, that's a day that's a piece of cake. And we all will have those. If you have a piece of cake day, uh, enjoy it. Enjoy it, because we don't always have that many in life. Now, uh, let's, uh, let's scripturally look into the Bible and see why life is not a piece of cake. The first reason that life is not a piece of cake is because of the devil. Now, there are ministers, this may come as a shock to you, there are ministers, there are theologians, there are uh, men and women in high academia, there are gifted scientists, lawyers, and professors that do not believe there's a real devil. I know there's a real devil. I know where he lives. He lives in Washington, D.C. <laughs> and he's been in Congress all his life. Sometime he disguises himself as a Republican. And other times, he disguises himself as a Democrat. But he's not fooling me. I know he exists. I call him a furry splitfoot. And when I rebuke him, I say, I rebuke you, splitfoot. <laughs> and the Bible said if we resist him, he'll flee from us. But the devil is diabolical. He is the total sum of evil. 
He is a destroyer of men's lives, women's lives, and their souls. He is a habitual and constant liar. His final destination will be the lake of fire. Now, 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith. The devil, more than anyone else, will make sure that life is not a piece of cake, I assure you. When I think of the devil and his tricks, and Paul the Apostle said, be not ignorant of Satan's devices. Every one of us should know enough about our Bibles to know when he's trying to trick us. And if you're walking close to God, you'll know the leading of the Spirit, but you'll instantly recognize the tricks of Satan, and you'll rebuke him. When I think of the tricks of Satan, I think of a young pastor and his young wife. They were in their first church. It was a small country church. They couldn't pay well. But both the young minister and his wife was exceedingly happy. Till one day she came home with a brand new black dress that had sequins on it. But it was a $162 dress. And when the preacher saw it, he said, oh, honey, honey, we can't afford that. I guess she said, the devil made me do it. <laughs> and he said, yes, but honey, honey, why didn't you use the scriptures? Why didn't you use the scriptures? She said, I did, honey. I said, get thee hence behind me, Satan. Then what did the devil say? He said, it looks great from back here, too. <laughs> You see how tricky he is? That's him, all right. Now, let's look at this. Even though life is not a piece of cake, the devil is a liar, and he'll turn that around and say, if you follow me, if you live a life of sin and darkness and follow me, I will make your life as sweet as cake. But he's a liar. He's lied from the beginning. So the devil, believe it or not, he is the primary reason why life will never be a piece of cake. But remember the scripture. As thy day, so shall thy strength be. There's nothing that can come into your life from the world, from sin or Satan, that you and I cannot overcome, because as thy day, so shall thy strength be. Maybe not the greatest strength, but enough strength for that day. I talked to a guy that was having a real problem in his job, and things were just going and I told him that mother said there'd be days like this. Just pray they don't come in bunches like bananas. <laughs> and we know about that, don't we? Well, the second thing, the devil is the number one reason why life is not a piece of cake. The second reason that life will never be a piece of cake is a little word called change. Now, I don't mean to change in a bubblegum machine or your pocket, but change. 
Don't sink your roots too deep in planet Earth because change will come and it will come fast. Change causes life not to be a piece of cake. You know that. Uh, you are home, you're enjoying life, and uh, you take your family out to the lake and you go swimming, you're enjoying it, and you, the husband you feel his side, and oh, that, that hurts, wonder what that is, I must have bumped it or something. There's a little lump there. And uh, you say, well, it's probably a pulled muscle or something. And uh, you say, well, we'll go in and see, honey, go in and check it out. Okay, I'm sure it's just a, a lump and you go in and pretty soon you're thinking about what is it? Is this going to change my family? Is this going to change my job? Is this going to change, what is this? And, and you go in and, and they do an examination, etc. And they said, we'll get back to you in a week and we'll call you. And you know, we wait by the telephone for that call. There's going to be some kind of change. And then you get the call and say, well, George, we looked at this, and all it is is a lump of flesh. It's nothing, uh, and we're going to remove it. And you go, but you was ready for change, and it was difficult. Change will come like that, even in a Christian's life. Uh, If you look at the Bible, in Timothy, Paul compares the Christian life to a military life. Now, I'm going to tell you something I've never told anybody. As a young man, I took the test to go to the United States Marine Corps. Uh, There are two things I'd like to have done with my life as I look back. One was to be be play football, and the other was to join the Marine Corps. I went out for football when I was in the freshman year of Jefferson Union High School, or sophomore. I was, uh, if you weighed me with my helmet and my equipment, I tipped the scales at 89 or 90 pounds by you. <laughs> I had no business going out for football. I look like Barney Fife in a football outfit. (laughs) But I was going to play football. My fingers were brown from smoking Lucky Strikes. I had humps on my back from smoking too much camels. But I was going to play football. It was a disaster. To make this very quick, There was a big strapling guy by the name of Goose. That was his nickname, tall, long neck, and his real name was Dennis. And uh, the coach, Frank Blaskovich, that's a name for a coach. The guy was tall, big, strong. And he said, uh, so uh, he said, Majeski, yeah, get a hold of that bag. And I was to go up there and I was to be a linebacker position, and he wanted Dennis to take me out. Dennis was soaking with sweat. His tongue was hanging out like an old pump handle. You know what two-a-days are like. And he said to me, Dennis and I were friends, he says, John, 
when I hit you, go down. I got you, buddy. <laughs> so Dennis comes and boom, he hits me. What I did, I put too much Hollywood on it. And Frank, Mr. Blaskovich said, Dennis, that ain't no way to hit a linebacker. Majeski, get a hold of that bag. Oh, jeez. So I had a big helmet on. And Rich Rhodes, the, the, the equipment manager, said, John, to keep from getting sick on tour days, bring a big lemon and put it up in your helmet. And if you suck on the lemon, you won't regurgitate. You won't get sick. And that was a good idea. So I had a big lemon on top of my helmet. Now my shoes were too big. Two sizes too big. And I'm in the locker room, and I said, Mr. Boscovich, these shoes are too big. They're like the ones that Ronald McDonald wore that turned up on the end. I said, these shoes are too big. He said, Majeski, put some cotton in them shoes and get out on the field. Well, what he didn't know, a half a bale of cotton wouldn't make them shoes fit. So there I was with my clodhoppers. The sweatshirt was so long, I put it up, and it had big sleeves like this. And every time I put my hand down, it fell down, and you couldn't see my hands. I couldn't run, I couldn't catch, but I held on to that. And here comes Coach Blaskovich, and he hits me, pow! I went over like a bowling pin. When I got up, I had lost my peripheral vision. I was nauseous, I thought I had a concussion. I could hear voices, but I actually lost my peripheral vision. I could only see a little hole, I was scared. I heard voices, I didn't know what happened. Well, what really happened, that big lemon made that oversized football helmet spin around, and I was looking out the ear hole. <laughs> Do you want me on your team? <laughs> well, I, uh, I quit football. And you know, I'm up in years, but I hate the fact that I quit football. I it left a scar on my life, silly as that is. I would never make the team, but I shall never quit. The second thing, I wanted to be a Marine. And I had bronchoasthma, but I felt I'd be a Marine. So Ralph Kellemeyer was my friend. We took the tests together. He passed. And you know those tests to pass, an imbecile could pass them because that, back then that's the way they wanted you to join. And so he, he took the test, I took the test, and we were supposed to, I told my mother, I told my friends, and uh, so the time came that we was to get on the bus and go to Paris Island and be sworn in. And I was home having a cup of coffee, listening to uh, Mr. Green Jeans and smoking a lucky strike. And I said, why do I want to go to Paris Island and sweat like a pig? I got cigarettes, I got money, there's plenty of babes around, I can get a date. I said, I don't think I'm going. And Ralph called me up after he was on the bus and said, where are you at? And I said, Ralph, I got bad news, I'm not going. <laughs> I think Ralph almost hated me the rest of his life. But I failed. I didn't join the Marines. So that's two failures that I don't like in my life. But Paul likens the Christian life to a soldier. And he says, no one's serving as a soldier. This is 2 Timothy 2.4. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. 
He wants to please his commanding officer. That's Jesus. So you see, we have to learn to roll with change in our lives. Life will change. Sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. You know, psychologists who have studied children, a child psychologist years ago said, if you can raise your children in the same neighborhood and let them go to the same schools, and there was a time, you, well, back in the valley where I grew up in Steubenville, there was Weirton Steel and, and Pittsburgh and, and Yorkville Plant and Fallensby Steel and all that. You could raise your family and you could live for 40, 50, 60 years in the same neighborhood and you could raise your kids up. They didn't have to move. And they said, that's what you want to do. And then they revised that a few years back and they said, that's wrong. They found out that kids who have, are army brats and they have to move every time their dad moves or kids whose dad are a district salesman and has to move to another district or a preacher's kid that has to move or a state patrolman that they relocate. They're only allowed to stay in an area so long because they make friends and they won't give tickets to your friends. So they move them. They found out that kids that have to move are better adjusted because they learn to roll with the punches. They learn to make new friends. And that's what we must do as Christians. Change will make life like it's not a piece of cake. But we must learn, as thy day, so shall thy strength be, no matter what change may come. That song we sang, what a glorious chorus that he'll never let us go so change all right let's look here the last thing and I think my time's up we're pretty close to it the third thing that will reveal that life is not a piece of cake is failure you know all of us fail in life even as Christians, we fail. Everyone on planet Earth will witness failure from time to time. Failure will remind us that life is not a piece of cake. Now, I've got a, a Bible lesson on failure very quickly, very quickly. This is a contention between Barnabas and the Apostle Paul. Now, the word contention, in, that means a, a uh, great dispute, a sharp dispute. Now, mind you, this is Paul, a man of God, and Barnabas, a man of God. They've worked for years. Barnabas is called the son of consolation. He's the one that put his arms around Paul and helped him understand the brethren. He's a godly man. Paul was, is God's theologian. Two great pillars in the church. But there's a contention. There's a sharp dispute between these two men of God. And it's recorded in the Bible. God, the Holy Spirit, put it there for you and us to understand. Now look at Acts 15, 39. 
And I'm going to start reading on the 36th verse. And some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. You see, John Mark wrote the book of Mark. Not at this time, but later. And Barnabas determined to take with him John, whose surname was Mark. I think Mark was related to Barnabas. But Paul, remember, Paul is godly, but Paul has a type A personality. And don't be ashamed if you got one. I told my doctor, I got a type A personality and it's not that good. He said, John, don't feel bad about your type A personality. If we all had type C, nothing would get done. <laughs> so Paul had a type A personality. You remember when Peter sat down and pretended to, uh, he, he, he pretended he was a Jew and he wouldn't, uh, when, when the Jews were coming and, and Paul said, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. Wow. Paul preached a straight line. And he had a right to rebuke Peter. He said, Peter, <laughs> either, you're going to either you're going to walk to walk and talk to talk or you're not. You can't get up from the Gentiles and sit with the Jews because conservative Jews are coming. That was Paul. Paul had a great gift. He could put leadership. I've sent Titus here. I've sent Timothy here. Okay, so what he's doing, and Paul said, Paul thought it not good to take with them who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. You see, John Mark came home. He went on the mission field with Paul and Barnabas. He had an inkling. But there was no job description. So he went anyways. He had an inkling. Now, the call of God is more than an inkling, but be careful. Sometimes it starts as an inkling, but something happened, and John Mark went AWOL. He left Paul and Barnabas on the mission field. Why? I don't know. And he went back to Jerusalem where his mother lived, that big house in Jerusalem. I think it was Mary, the mother of John Mark, and he went back home. And one German scholar said that John Mark, as a young missionary, when Zoom Mutter, I think, excuse my German, I don't know too much German, but Zoom Mutter meant he went back to his mother. What that German scholar was saying, Mark was a mama's boy. A mama's boy. Now, I'm not comfortable with that. But that's where he went. I think he went back there because he knew. See, that's where the disciples met. His mother was a brave woman. She set up a prayer meeting right in the center of a hostile Jewish community. They hated Christians, but she used her house as a Bible study in a hostile Jewish community. And John Mark went back there because he knew in that house he could have peace, he could have forgiveness, and he could recuperate. I think that's why he went back there, not because he was a mama's boy, but that's okay. Let's read on very quickly. Now, verse 39, please listen. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other, so that Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. 
And Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren by the grace of God. Now, this is what happened. Paul said, we're going to take Barnabas. I mean, we're going to take John Mark. Paul said, no, we're not. He went AWOL. You don't do that with Paul. I'm serious. Either you serve the Lord, walk to walk, or... And Paul said no. And Barnabas, so they had a contention, a sharp dispute. Now, the Greek word here for contention is paroxysm. You know what a paroxysm is? A fit. Wow. Paul and Barnabas had a fit whether John Mark would go to the missions or not. And Barnabas went to Cyprus, and Paul went on. And a scholar said that Barnabas went to the backwaters of Cyprus and disappeared. You never heard of him again. Paul went on to be called the greatest missionary in the Bible. Again, I disagree with the scholar. I agree with what he said, but Barnabas didn't go into oblivion. No, he was a son of consolation, and God's not going to waste that kind of love. I think he did a great work in Cyprus, but it was just not recorded in the scripture. Maybe there wasn't room for it. But my point is this. It happened because of failure. John Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark when he was young, was the greatest failure he could ever have. He went AWOL, and he failed. Now, very quickly, Brother Majeski, you have to close. What God did, he put John Mark, who was a failure, with another man that was a failure. Do you know who he was? Peter the Apostle. You see, Peter knew about failure, but he recovered. He denied the Lord. He wept bitterly, and yet he became a man of God. And after Pentecost, Peter didn't back down from anybody. So God puts John Mark with Peter, and Peter helps John Mark greater than anybody in his life. And guess what? I was at a church of God, I visited it because I was an evangelist and had time off, so I went into this church of God, and the preacher that morning was preaching about John Mark, and he made this statement. Peter wrote the book of Mark. I wanted to throw a church of God hymnal at him, but I didn't. You see, Peter didn't write the book of Mark. If he wrote the book of Mark, it wouldn't be called Mark. But... When you wrote a book, if you could have first experience with Jesus, if you could get your facts from Jesus, that was great. But John Mark couldn't do that. So the best thing next is get your information from somebody who knew Jesus, who walked with Jesus. So Mark wrote his epistle from the word of mouth of Peter. And Peter would say something, and John Mark put his own imprint on it. Now, very quickly. Paul and Barnabas never worked again after the fit, but they did reconcile. Paul mentions Barnabas, and he mentions John Mark. And then when Paul's in the dungeon, he said this, listen, bring John Mark with you. Hallelujah. For he's profitable to me for the ministry. He faced failure. But he went on to write the book of Mark. And when you look at the book of Mark, 
Here's a book that was written by a young man that was a miserable failure missionary, but God used him and Peter used him and Paul said, bring John Mark. Why, I wonder why he wanted John Mark to come to the dungeon. Scholars say that John Mark brought his gospel that he wrote and he wanted Paul to look it over. I like to think that. Failure, yes, failure will make life not a piece of cake. But we must remember this. Faith is a victory. No matter what failures we have in life, yes, it'll not be a piece of cake. But even in failure, if you turn it over to the Lord, as I day, so shall I strength be. You can go on from failure and do great things for God I don't care who you are. I don't care. You say, well, I'm just a common Christian. Every Christian is uncommon. And if you're struggling with failure, as thy day, so shall thy strength be. If Satan is turning you into a football, remember, as thy day, so shall thy strength be. Remember what we shared here. Change. As thy day, so shall thy strength be. I I want to pray right now as I close this message. Will you bow your heads? Our Father God, we know that life is not a piece of cake. We understand that. Some of us, Father, the devil has kicked us around like a football. Some people are here this morning and they've been in a battle. Would you lift them up, Lord? If Satan has been attacking them, help them know that as thy day, so shall thy strength be. Some people here are facing change, and it's so difficult. Sometimes the whole church here will have to face change. Yes, the Talmud's Church of God will have to face change sometime. And We'll struggle with it. Help us to know that as thy day, so shall thy strength be. And Lord, we've all failed, haven't we? But I must remember John Mark. He went above his failures because as his day, so shall his strength be. And we have the book of Mark because a young man went beyond his failures. If there's a need here this morning, as we sing, the altars are open for anyone. May you find the strength you need today in Christ's name. Amen.